Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Epistles to the Romans, chapter 7, verses 15 to 25. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. O oh God, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans, chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... With my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord that we can be worshiping together on this weekend of America's birthday, this experiment that George Washington referred to as America is 244 years young yesterday. I want to encourage us to keep praying for America, that God would have mercy, that God would forgive us and heal our land, and that we as a nation would amend our ways in all the ways that we need to. You know, last week we ended chapter 6 of Romans with the language about wages and gifts. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, our Messiah. Well, on this birthday weekend, I have a few more gifts that I want to share with you as you continue reading through Romans. Here's the first gift. If I could summarize Romans into a few simple statements and put it on a, a big banner and put it on the front of our lawn of our church on Chicago Avenue for all to see, the banner might read something like this. God demonstrates his love for us 
the Messiah died for us while we were still sinners. And seriously, I think that could be a, a wonderful summary, an excellent summary for the book of Romans. Now here's the second gift. I want to give you a simple outline to Romans to help you in your reading of the book. So you could take a screenshot of this on the screen. You could email me, and I'll be happy to send you the outline as you continue to read through Romans. So here's what that outline would look like. Romans chapter, chapters 1 through 4, I think, in general, talks about God's righteousness and then justification by faith. Romans 5 through 8, in general, talks about sanctification, being set apart for God's special use. And of course, Romans 9 through 11 talks about God's faithfulness toward Jews and Gentiles. And then finally, the last four chapters, 12 through 16, talks about faithfulness, our faithfulness, and fellowship in the wider world. Now, those two gifts are easy to grasp until you come to the section, Romans chapter 7. And someone said that reading this section of Romans is like that moment you are on a plane, you're 30,000 feet up in the air, the flight begins to approach some turbulence, and over the intercom, the captain says, ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing some turbulence. Please take your seats. Please return to your seats and fasten your seat belts. And so I'm going to ask you this morning to fasten your, your exegetical seat belts because this is where it gets bumpy. So Romans 7, verses 7 through 25, is among some of the most contested passages in all of Romans. I mean, I read so many different books this past week and over the previous days, and everybody has a view. And you say, well, why? Because this section of Romans has known centuries of controversy. Who is the person of Romans 7? And there are basically three views. And let me share them with you. The first view is that this passage is really describing an unconverted Pharisee who is desperately seeking to find forgiveness and salvation by living under the law. Many of the Greek fathers held that view. The second view is that this passage represents a typical Christian, a typical Christian who is born again, who knows Jesus, but is struggling. And this is the view of Augustine and Luther and Calvin. And then the third position, some say, is really describing a carnal Christian, someone who is living under great duress. On the one hand, the Spirit of God is calling them to a, a particular life, but then their old nature is calling them to another way of life. Now, which view do you take? I, I, I encourage you to read more about it, but I will take the view that this passage is describing life for a typical Christian. And the reason why I say that is it's because Paul uses the first person quite a few times in this section, but he also uses it in the present tense. In other words, to suggest that this is what he's going through. And I think it's more natural then to understand this section as Paul talking about what he is experiencing. And so I would offer to you this morning the third gift, that Romans 7 is really a gift to the church. In what way? Well, you see the gift of the law. In verse 7, he's, he asks the question, 
is the law sin? And what's his answer? He says, no, the Torah is a gift and a guide for life. Now, think about those of you who have a driver's license and you are driving in Evanston or Skokie or throughout Chicago. I can remember a few years ago coming to a red light at the corner of, of, of Dempster and McCormick and there's a sign right off to the right, right in front of me that says no turn on red. Well, a guy behind me apparently didn't see the sign. He's wondering why I'm sitting there. Why am I not turning right on the red? And so he starts playing that musical instrument that all cars have, known as the car horn. And I'm telling you, that day I truly understood what road rage feels like. The guy wouldn't stop until the light changed and I turned right. Now, what guides and circumscribes our driving on the streets of Evanston and Chicago and Skokie are the rules of the road. And there were other times, and I think I've told you about those other times, where I got stopped by the police because I violated the rules of the road. And so the laws governing the road, would we say they're good or they're bad? Well, like Paul, I would imagine most of us would say, no, those laws are not bad, they're good. Because if there are no rules for the road, we wouldn't know when to stop, we wouldn't know when to go or yield, and we would essentially harm ourselves and we would harm others. And as Paul says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So the law is good. It's spiritual, Paul says. But here's the second gift, the gift of struggle. Now, in verses 14 through 23, Paul lays out in very transparent speech his challenges regarding living a holy life. And you'll notice that Paul's life is not one straight line up and to the, to the right. It's not this unbroken line of success after success, victory after victory. Paul struggled. And anyone who has seriously followed Christ can identify with Paul's conflict. Each week we pray in our church the prayer of Jesus. And in that prayer we say, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our debtors or as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Why? Because just like this servant of God, Paul, we find these inconsistencies in our lives. And in our minds, we know what we should do. We know what we should do. We can see the sign, do not turn, do not covet, do not commit adultery. But for many of us, we end up doing the opposite of what the sign calls for. And after reading this, someone jokingly said that Paul must have been a golfer because all golfers know what you want to do, you do not do. And what you do not want to do, that is the very thing you do. That is why I like Paul, because he's honest, he's real, he's not trying to make an impression, he's not trying to, to uh, present himself in this sort of pretentious way. What you see is what you get. And he says in verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. I know what is right, and I know what is wrong, 
and yet I find myself doing the very thing I hate. Can you identify with that? In verse 16, he doesn't blame the law of God. He doesn't blame people for his problems. He doesn't blame the church. He doesn't transfer the source of his problems to things external to him. He honestly says in verse 17 that in me, sin dwells. Sin dwells within me. And I can already hear some of you saying, well, pastor, how can a servant of God like Paul struggle so mightily? Now, I don't want to offend you with this example, and if I do, please forgive me. But let's say you have reached your desired weight loss goal. You are many pounds lighter, your muscles are bulging, you're pleased with yourself. What happens next? Do you sit around, no movement, no exercise? Do you go on my kind of diet, which is a seafood diet? You eat whatever your eyes see? Of course, the answer is no. For the rest of your life, you will struggle to eat the right kind of food, to exercise, to be disciplined, because the day you just say, you know, forget about all of that and let your, yourself go, you're going to go right back to your old self. So, yes, I believe that as Christians, we're covered over with the righteousness of God. I believe that as Christians, we are adopted children of God, and yet... The Bible encourages us and tells us to resist the devil. The Bible tells us we must pray, lead us not into temptation. The Bible tells us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone, but God is faithful. God will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with that temptation, God will also provide a way so that you're able to endure it. So yes, we are followers of Jesus, but we're not home yet. Now, if that sounds disheartening in one sense, I think that's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel that this is disheartening, but I also want you to hear that this struggle is a gift. It's a gift. And so Paul cries out in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? What I love about the gift of struggle is that it causes us to come to the end of ourselves. It causes us to say, I don't have what it takes to please God. And the struggle shows us our weaknesses, but it also shows us our Savior. When we read God's perfect law properly and we look at our lives through the prism of God's law honestly, we can only conclude like Paul, that we're wretched. And without accepting this, we will never, ever grasp the glory of the gospel. We will never truly appreciate the gospel of received grace. We sing this song in our church. I love to sing that great song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I have no problem saying that. I know where God dug me out of. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The struggle is a gift. It's a good place to be. Because only as we, our hearts honestly cry at our wretchedness can we then know the hope and the liberation of looking away from ourselves 
to what God has done. Only when we see ourselves in light of God's law can we then begin to see the hope and the liberation that belongs to us through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, who will rescue me? Who will rescue Paul? Who will rescue Ray Hilton? Who will rescue First Prez? And because of that struggle, we look to our Savior. And in verses 25, Paul, Paul gives thanks for the rescue provided through Jesus, our Messiah, and our Lord. And Paul writes then as a Christian. He's not an unconverted person. He's a Christian. And he writes confidently about ultimate victory in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus, our Messiah, our Christ. And as he thanks God, he's keenly aware that the struggle to defeat the power of sin in his life continues. He's caught between the old life and the ever-changing new life. And so he says at the very end of that reading, he says, so then, with my mind, I'm a slave to the law of God, but, my, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. Next week, though, we're going to look at chapter 8, and we'll begin to see how the Messiah, and by the sending of his Holy Spirit, begins to free us from the law of sin and death, where he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now before I, we close this time and we go to the communion table, I just want to remind you of one more thing. If indeed this is all about the struggles that we go through as people seeking to follow faithfully the Lord Jesus Christ, I think there are two things you and I need to do. First of all, we need to look to the Savior and know that before the foundations of the world that God knew us and loved us and called us to be his very own. And it's not our performance that saves us, it's the grace of God. So we need to weep over our sin, yes, but we also need to rejoice in our Savior. The second thing I would urge you to do is to be merciful to those around you. And you have your children, maybe you have friends, maybe you have a spouse, you are around other people. And you know the problem we have as human beings, we have 20-20 vision regarding the faults and the weaknesses and the flaws and the failures of others. And we fail to see this, this log that is sticking out of our eyes. If anything, what this text should teach us is that we're all in this together. We're, we're struggling together. We are sinning, we have a savior together, and if anything, we should encourage one another, exhort one another, build up one another, pray for one another, because we're all pilgrims on this road, heading to the celestial city, as John Bunyan said, and we all struggle. So would you do that for me? Be, more, be kind to yourself, thank God for his mercy, and then be kind to others as we continue to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.